Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Podside Picnic. I'm Pete, and I'm here with Connor. The you mean Carlo. I guess he's the Pete to my Connor. I, I don't know what to say, man. But <laughs> the point is, Carlo's back. Um, how are you, man? I'm doing okay, man. Good, good. Yeah, um, it's, it's sort of nice to transition from having you as a regular guest on the show to instead having you, like... Uh, do this as a regular bit. It's, you know, it, it feels more formal. It seems like, you know, I, I'm looking forward to more talks with you in front of a microphone, I guess is what I'm saying here. Well, yeah, yeah. And and whenever conditions allow, there will be a Baltimore contingent uh, reunion or whatever you want to call it exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would like to, to visit you in Baltimore without, you know, dying of something horrible. As soon as we can guarantee that, I'm on the way. Yes, well, and, and I'm, I'm glad to be, I mean, what can I say? The public has spoken. Um, this was simply something that uh, folks in Discord, uh, folks, if you haven't joined the Discord yet, uh, it's a fun community. But um, it's something that uh, people in the Discord were apparently uh, interested in hearing more of. And um, I'm glad to, glad to fit that uh, niche, if you will. Yeah. Well, and the flip side of that is, if you don't like listening to this and you're not in the Discord, that means that like um, either you're not paying to have a vote, or you you aren't voting. So get in there and make your opinions known. And uh, you know, I maybe that's the thing we should start doing is like putting out a bunch of features uh, that are non-pay that people don't like to like drive them into the Discord. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God! Please. <laughs> It's like day 57 of the Barney episodes, you know. <laughs> We're not the McElroys. <laughs> oh, man. So where are you right now? Are you back home in Baltimore? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm in Baltimore. Um, I'm not moving anytime soon. Yeah, so. well, yeah, I guess Baltimore is in quotes. Our home is in quotes there. I just, I just know that's been your base of operations for a while. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and it's, I mean, and we live out in the, like in a very rural area, you know, the next house over is, well, it's not that far away, but it, it, we have a farm in front of us, a dairy farm. So certain, certain weekends, uh, when they're fertilizing the fields is really, uh, it's really something. So I'm hearing there are smells. Oh yes. Yes, there are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm visiting my parents in Lafayette, Indiana. And if you've ever been through Lafayette, Indiana, what you can absolutely smell is the uh, the the corn processing plant, and mm. so the the entire town smells like slightly burnt starch, and <laughs> that's okay. It's it's a great town, Go Purdue, you know all, all of that. I'm just saying that you, you you know what town you're in with your eyes closed, you know. 
Well, that that's um, it makes it reminds me of like this little uh, weirdly scent board that I'm developing in my own. Maybe not a scent board, but uh, more or less like tiny details that I that I keep filed away in case I want to write something uh, that's located in one of the places I visited. And like uh, one of the funny things here is that uh, down the way from us, like about twenty miles, miles, twenty miles, twenty minutes away. Um, there's the McCormick plant, um, mm-hmm. and depending on the day of the week, you can drive by there and be like, "Oh, they're making cinnamon today." Oh, that's definitely Old Bay, and so on. That's very cool. Yes, is, is but, there a particularly bad day? You know, I'm I'm not entirely sure. Uh, given that uh, I, you, you I, live I'm next to the cows, how bad could it? Yeah. Be? Oh, this is true. This is absolutely true. Fertilizing day is uh, something that uh, I wouldn't wish on anyone. <laughs> That's fair. So, um, so in this case, Pete, we're gonna, if if I'm not mistaken, we're gonna flip it around. Yep. And I'm gonna ask you some questions about uh, Shadowrun because uh, you gave me some homework, which I went to. Uh, I, I'm I'm currently reading Burning Bright by Thomas Dowd, uh, one of your Shadowrun uh, tie-in novels. That officially uh, makes you the first student I've ever had who's listened to me, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I do want to try to sound uh, informed about my opinions on here. Fair uh, enough. Uh, at least as much as I can sound. Well, but they, uh, I think there's a lot of imposter system going sy- syndrome going around on this podcast, so that's totally <laughs> fine, man. We we have like a little impost instead of like a, a like a little dolly we pass around in the circle we just pass along imposter syndrome one to the next <laughs> like, now it's I have your the imposter turn to syndrome it. yeah <laughs> so um I all I know about uh, Shadowrun I I really haven't uh, followed up on it I remember uh, that it came out more or less when I was like in my uh, A school for the Navy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is one of the uh, game books that I um, that I definitely picked up, like when we went to the bookstore down the way. And uh, I mean, I picked it up. I think on the the merits of its uh, original uh, artwork, which was basically like a couple of a weird elf looking guy and an orc or a troll, sort of both around the corner hacking into a data station of some sort. Sure. Leather jackets, mohawks, AK-47s. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I mean the the image alone was good enough that it, I felt like this is interesting. I've never seen cyber orcs, so let's find out about that. And it was an interesting read from like a world building perspective, but I never really it, the the rule set seemed so complicated to me that I never really played it, so I didn't really glom onto it. What uh, what exactly made you get past you know the the did you ever play it? Yes, yes. So what what got me what got me past the fact that the rules are are janky and you're absolutely correct they're, they're horrific. Um, I think there was more than one version, and the new version that came out in the two thousands was slightly better. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, I got interested because I believe it was. The Super Nintendo had a Shadowrun game, 
and I played that into the ground. And uh, one of the ways you can pick up a rule system these days is by, well, these days, what was what, 30 years ago? (laughs) (laughs) But the point is you you can pick up a rule system by playing a video game that utilizes it. Some of the things are done for you, but you can at least watch it happen. And that was enough for me to start like putting the pieces together. And uh, then I had um, a friend who was a, um, well, I mean, he, he was trying to start up a campaign, and he let me set up a character who was a shark shaman who um, made harpoons with glass tips, much like the, the main villain in, in Snow Crash. Interesting. Yes, okay. and that that was enough. Like I, I got to fold enough of my interest into one thing, and plus, I just I sort of like the the world idea. Like one of the things I think we all like to do in our RPG games is to create as much like variety and chaos as possible. And this was one of the first games to say, you know, what orcs need. Uh, like laser targeting systems and you know mages need drones to fire their spells from it's like that sort of the, the folding over of high technology and high fantasy and then putting it into sort of a dystopian corporate setting I just it felt right it, it was it was one of the more unique rule system or well, well worlds out there and and that appealed despite some of its issues <laughs> right, right. I, I think I think my takeaway, um, and at the time when I was picking it up, because of the interest, it sort of peaked in me. Um, I think my point of view was that, and again, this is I didn't even know it at the time, but I think now looking back at it, was probably the idea that we've never seen sort of fantasy or a fantasy world ever progress past a, a say even a renaissance age like a high fantasy past the renaissance is sort of something that you wouldn't uh i've not seen it honestly yeah. in high fantasy they they tend to burn out at gunpowder um i have seen like there have been attempts to move it into the victorian age like steve uh arcanum is a is a like well that that was a video game but you know the idea is like the the age of steam and fantasy i've seen it combined but like as you move farther and farther ahead it's much it's less and less likely and i think that's a shame yeah i mean uh the other thing that uh, struck me as we're speaking and you're talking to me about like the 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 magic folded into cyber and whatnot uh, or the the uh trappings of cyberpunk is the fact that this is really um, sort of what is it? Clark's rule uh, doubled. You know, it's basically um, magic and mm-hmm. technology that's so sufficiently advanced that it seems like magic. And why not combine the two? And you know, you've got your magic in my sci-fi. Yeah. Oh, and I mean, I think. Um, at that point, it runs into the rule system and like how effective it is. The rule system is in, exp- is in explaining the world, and I think I think you nailed something early on in this episode. Is that that hadn't been thought susp- sufficiently out? Like, what is the difference between a fireball and mortar fire? Like, how do these things interact? How do they contradict each other? How does that all work? And that really never felt like it worked in this game. Their solutions weren't elegant, I guess is what I'm saying. 
Yeah, I think um, the, the, the more I read up on it and the more, even I think just as you're reading it, you know, I, I feel like this is, um, and, and I'm going to do a little teaser here, just All a right. tiny teaser. Um, it felt like Piers Anthony's um, phase shift, was it? I forget the, the one where there was oh. like a curtain. Yeah, yeah, Split Infinity and uh, yeah, Blue yeah, Adapt, the, those yeah, things. Yeah, that one. Um, that series, and it, it seems like they were trying to do that, but it doesn't really work because at the very least you have, uh, in that series, you have like a, a hard border, and it's magic on one side and it's tech on the other. And the thing here is that um, as I was reading the rules and the sort of the setting and all that stuff, you you come away going, well, well, okay, but so if a fireball is the same thing as you know, like in incineration grenades or whatever, well, then why why wouldn't I just? And given the difficulty of magic and like all the extra rules in, involved in it, like why wouldn't I just like stock up on grenades? Oh, you know, yeah. and uh, you'd be correct. <laughs> and, and and on top of that, like your your Munchkin character is going to be like, well, if I cast fireball and throw grenades, does it do like uh, you know x amount more damage? And you're like, ah, shut up, just yeah. shut up. <laughs> well, I'm um, I I was finding. Well, I mean, uh, the min maxing is just a thing. Munchkinning. Um, I and. I I found that physical adepts just sort of had the edge over anyone else because you what you, what you basically had was martial artists who could lo- like sort of spread on top of their physicality the the ability to do magic crap with their punches and that just sort of put you over the line. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, I That's... mean it's like ooh, big guy to fight. How about big guy that has you explode when he punches you, you know? Right. I mean, I'm just thinking like along the lines of uh, you know, if you were to do that in D&D, having a monk that has like, oh, my fists are magical already. Yeah. That's yeah, they, like way They're plus 3 too much. by the way. <laughs> yeah, you're like no, that is way too much, man. So um, and then uh, so you played it. How long did your um, did your chronicle or whatever uh, oh, last? Oh uh, gosh, let me think about that. Uh, I I think I think we did a lot more prep work and back and forth emails about the campaign than we actually got anywhere. We probably did eight weekend sessions, which I guess isn't bad, but. Um, part of the thing that, that we were finding is there's not really uh, an ethics system in the game. <laughs> and, like, I, one of the things I'm fascinated in in role playing games, and this is a warning to anybody who ever plays one with me, is that I'm very much into the mechanics of betrayal. And, like, how does that sort of thing play out in a game? <laughs> like, when you would do it. And like everybody else on the team, were people who in a in a Dungeons and Dragons game would be a paladin. Oh no! Yeah, and so they you know they kept doing things of like okay, let's um, who who's going to hold on to the money while the rest of us go into this dangerous area? And I'll be like, I'll look after the money for you. And it's like, well, where did he go? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Do you like to play the ponies, Jenk? <laughs> 
you know, it was terrible, guys. Somebody stole the money. It's completely messed up. I don't know what to tell you, you know. <laughs> oh, no. You know what? Okay. That is that is the comment that is going to uh, warrant this. Oh, nice. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Uh, I, I I find that I mean I'm coming from like the the Dungeons and Dragons uh, idea of like uh, what is it the twin the twin axes of uh, law versus chaos and uh, good versus evil. Uh, yeah, I mean Shadowrun doesn't lend itself to that type of uh, like morality anyway. Yeah, not at all. It's I mean, uh, what's funny is how people get that whole concept in their head and they feel like they have to continue with it. And there's certainly in Shadowrun in particular, there's no reward for I uh, I'm I'm a lawful good cleric. I mean, that's just a gibberish thing to do. You're a street rat and you should act like one. Right. I mean, I feel like um, that's the fantasy uh, sort of model that a lot of people will bring to the fantasy and forgetting that this is cyberpunk, which is essentially like noir um, sensibilities. Yes. You are never going to be rewarded for being a a good character, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, it's... I, I, I guess I guess on some level I should back off a little in that if you get a group of people together and they're playing the game and they're enjoying it by um, embracing monastic standards of what proper behavior is, I, I mean, that's fine. But I, I do think there's a lot. Like, if you, if you get a bunch of uh, Victorian underground explorers together, I, I, I think it's cooler to have them have Victorian values. Right. And you know, it's like your your um, your Earl of Suffolk is probably not going to be wanting to hang out with your street cleaner. And I mean, that's there's something to be said for that sort of of playing to like acknowledge the complexities of your world and messing around with it. And um, that that's one of the things that made Shadowrun so fun for me. And it's also one of the things where it failed because like that rule system again, garbage. You know, right. One of the things that made me particularly angry was that the more cybernetics you had in you, the more likely you were to go berserk. Well, I feel like that's probably a a, a almost complete one for one um, sort of porting over uh, the Cyberpunk twenty twenty rule set, where you could go, you could have like the um, was it cyborg cyborg or implant psychosis? Yes. Oh, yeah, that, I mean, that's exactly what we're talking about. And it's like at the end of the day, like you need to have something there because otherwise everybody would just be a brain suspended in a flu- fluid jar, suspended in a tank. I mean, like, why wouldn't you do that? But, you know, the idea that you automatically go nuts seems, you know, I, I would like that fleshed out more. Let's see if you'll pardon the, the expression. <laughs> Well, you know, as long as it's the new flesh, I think we're good. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so, uh, yeah, and, and I, I feel like this is weirdly one of these things where they took sort of like this very gonzo uh, approach to, like, these were guys that wanted to play D&D, but then they wanted to uh, include Cyberpunk 2020 rules into it and said, well, why not do that? And I mean, uh, to be fair, it is probably the first time I've seen that done. 
when I saw that first edition, uh, you know, cover art and whatnot, uh, you know, it, it immediately sort of hit something, a switch in my brain where it's like, you must buy this now. So, yeah. you know, there is something to that. Um, I'm just sort of wondering uh, over the years if they've they've honestly gotten better. Uh, I don't I haven't really followed up on it, so. Yeah, well, and I mean, I think that definitely like the early, the late 90s and the early aughts was the age of make your RPG do anything. And I mean, it was the result of that that we got things like GURPS and we got the things like the Pathfinder rule system that you could use to create whatever you want. And I, I, I think that's very desirable. But I also, I, I like little niche products. Like, in any RPG they created to just simply do the one thing, and, like, I don't know, Gamma World, or those sorts of things. Like, th- those those sports and one-off, I, say, I think, are a lot of fun. Right. I mean, I, uh, having listened to the previous episode um, where you were talking about Gamma World. Yeah. Um, I always, that was, like, a, one of those... Um, one of those settings that just screamed out to me because it's just so there's something to it. It's got juice. Um, and, uh, and speaking of, uh, I never got to play it, but I did get to sort of page through the rules and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, a little shout out to my friend, my best friend in high school, Cesar, who had all of the D and D, uh, supplements. That nice. Includes- Indiana Jones Top Secret, the James Bond supplement of Top Secret, and so on. Oh, nice. I always wanted the gas pen, man. That stuff's so cool. <laughs> but uh, going back to Gamma World, it was definitely one of those things where you like you, you, you read through it and you're like, yeah, man, I definitely want to be a weird uh, armadillo man. Who, <laughs> exactly. uh, yeah. I want the rabbit with the laser eyes, please. Yeah, why not? What the fuck not? I mean, <laughs> if you're going to go for broke, let's go for it, you know? Yeah. Well, and what's funny is, like, that that is a property that has gone through... Oh gosh, like six rule sets. Like there's the one like initially it was called Metamorphosis Alpha and the idea was that it was a um it was a a generation ship in space somewhere. And then the next iteration was Gamma World and that was basically D&D rules with mo- mutations and you couldn't level up. Uh like there were no levels or you know at least not in the same way that there were in D&D. Right. And then you, you, they kept they kept trying new rule sets for them, and I've got uh, oh it's all it's all back at my apartment now, but I've got a particularly good set of rules for it that was based upon the idea that it was a biological warfare apocalypse with with the side of AI, and that's one of the things that fascinates me with the rules switching. The other thing that switched is how everybody died. Because oh. if you think about it, like, the original Gamma World, that was happening in the 70s around the same time that, like, oh, God, Logan's Run was happening, or the Black Hole. And, mm-hmm. like, think about the sensibility of the people reading science fiction then versus now. I mean, I think it's it was very different. Well, I mean, uh, to be fair, and and I'm sure that somebody's going to get mad at this, but could you imagine uh, the Gamma World that uh, produced uh, the... Uh, sort of Shannara. <laughs> <laughs> you, you are deliberately targeting someone here, and I love you for it, man. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, that that's exactly what the backstory of uh, Sword of Shadara is, which is like, it's like 10 pages of that. And you're like, really? Okay. I, well, I'm sort of fascinated by the idea because, you, well, you know, the, the other, the Wheel of Time is the same way. Like, if you start digging to the Wheel of Time, they start talking about, uh, like, they keep having flashbacks of, mm-hmm. like, previous lives of Randall Thor, and, like, he's flying around in a helicopter and stuff, and you're like, whoa, 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 like, like aren't you, like, hanging out with a bard and riding a horse, you know, like, yeah. what, what's what's going on here? And well, I, that, was, that was one of those uh, brief flashes, I think, was it at the end of the third book or the fourth, the fourth book? Yes. Um, the fourth book, wherein at the end of it, I realized with a sinking feeling that it wasn't really going. The series was just not really going anywhere real quick. Um, but that was enough to get me through the fifth book, which was that flash where they're they're in that super far future, which is their past uh, before they broke the seal. And you're like, oh, OK. <laughs> yes, but. But I, I think that that's become more common now. Like, uh, even uh, Breath of the Wild is a post-apocalyptic world. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, very good point. It's Well, and I think... Um, I, I don't want to be too gloomy. Like, I'm having fun here. But I, I, I think your average reader has become more and more accepting of the fact that we're all going to die. I mean, bluntly. Well, I mean, yes. Yes. Uh, I think that, um, you know, like Horizon Zero Dawn, which you guys have talked about in the in the past um these are all post-apocalyptic uh futures where it's sort of the technology has become magical in a certain sense mm-hmm. and uh but there is a very uh empty world um and and, and to be fair like uh, i'm trying to compare like a video game to an rp a tabletop rpg which isn't exactly fair mainly because video games don't have uh sufficient re- really resources to populate a world completely so part of it is that part of it is the the drive to make your hero character be the most active person in that world and so on yeah uh for purposes of game um but you know uh other than that like it's it's just sort of weird to see that become more and more common and i think you're on to something it's uh, i think it's simply become something that has uh slowly gained traction in the culture yeah. Wow, that feels great. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, I, it's fine. We're all thinking it. Um, so, uh, Burning Bride itself, the book. So, um, I recommended we read it sometime, and Carlo shocked me by going out and getting a copy and starting it. So, um, uh, how do you want to do this, Carlo? I could talk a little bit about like the origin and purpose of the book, or you know, we we could we could do this however you like. I mean, to be honest with you, let me ask you um, because uh, I want to get your your perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. When like were you reading this while you were playing? Uh, was this afterwards? Uh, you know, what what made you pick up this book specifically? Sure. Um, well, when I was. Uh, Oh, gosh. I was a senior in college. Uh, It was the summer of my senior year, like right before. Um, And I was working in a theater in Minneapolis, and my disposable income was on the order of $60 a month. And a used book was a dollar, 
and um, spin-offs of role-playing games were about 50% a piece, and um, Burger King Whoppers were a dollar a piece. And oh. so I was looking at that $60, and I was trying to figure out how to get books and food at the same time. <laughs> And usually, what that meant, meant was I would I would get a couple of whoppers, and I would get a uh, at least two fifty cent role playing game books. And uh, yeah, and Burning Bright was one of the first I grabbed from the Shadow Run. I was a little reluctant to go there because, I mean, have you looked at the covers? They are cheese, you know. <laughs> I mean, most of them, uh, the original ones that I remember were like uh, it was basically like. They're reusing artwork from the game itself or something or some module. Yes, yes. And, and that's very much like Burning Bright. Um, if, if, if you talk to the marketing guy behind Fossa Games or whatever the, the, the guys who made this was, he would tell you that the function of Burning Bright was to act as a, a prequel for um, some source books that they were launching about insect spirits. Ah, okay. Here it's all coming together now. Yep. And so, I mean, the the book was very much about regular shadow what run characters being completely unaware or non-focused on at least what insect spirits were and, you know, put it, putting their putting their wieners in the garbage disposal. Nice use of metaphor, Pete. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I know <laughs> I'm not the writer here, but I try to keep my hand in, you know. <laughs> So, um, so I do want to uh, then ask you, what did you think of Burning Bright when you when you read it? Oh, um, uh, I I, I, can't, I want to defend myself before I say anything, but like, <laughs> I mean, at the this time, this is a safe space, Pete. <laughs> thank you. It, I loved it. Like it was um, the the writing was of higher quality than a lot of the other RPG ones. It mm -hmm. had sort of a noir feel that I found satisfying. Um, it wasn't. Um, I oh, it didn't feel as white bread <laughs> mm -hmm. as a lot of the other books I read. What that were very much like here is the. Here is the perspective of a fifty-year-old dude from Iowa who's interested in fantasy and science fiction. Like this, this felt like it was trying to be something else. Um, in hindsight, I feel like I was giving a lot of credit to these books, but like at the time, I felt like they were doing something pretty good. Right, right. No, I, I, I see what you're talking about because, like, uh, is it Kyle Teller? Yes, which is a weird weird name for a uh, dude who claims to be uh, in game terms Amarind, right? Is that... Yes, uh, yes. Uh, he, he's, it, it should have been Warren. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, uh, I won't oh, no. do that again. <laughs> no, he was originally from Chicago area. You know, that's Oklahoma, okay? <laughs> Warren, Warren's an Oklahoma tribe in, in Shadowrun. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, new episode starting over. Um. Okay, canceled already. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I couldn't help it. <laughs> Wasn't there a teacher like this past Friday that? Yeah, that yeah, Jessica Krug, the uh, Afro Puerto Rican. Uh, uh, <laughs> 
lady that, or at least she was trying to pass herself off as that. And you're like, come on, man, you could like That's it's, re- it's a, remarkably specific too. Yes, it's so specific. Uh, I mean, and today I think they're the um, was it Essence magazine had like an article written by her about Puerto Rico, and you're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, has she been? Like that's that's my big question now. Like, is she? For all I know, she may have never gone. That's that's the funniest thing. I think she's <laughs> no, no. She was actually passing herself off as a New Rican person, uh, and you're like, so you you were born and raised amongst Puerto Ricans in New York. That's even more specific. It is amazingly specific. Oh my god. You just reminded me of just how strange this whole thing is. <laughs> yeah, it's it is it's not okay. Um I I I don't know. Like the, these things these things are complicated and I do I'm very much in general a fan of the idea of people reinventing themselves and trying to become who they want. Yeah, but, not, not that much, though. Yeah, <laughs> I think there are portions of identity that you don't choose, and I think that is sad, but, like, yes. it's it's factual. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, uh, veering back to Shadowrun. Yeah, yeah, I think we'd better run back to the shadows, Carlo. Um <laughs> So anyway, Kyle Teller is the uh, the protagonist in this, and he is uh, of indigenous descent. Um, but you know, uh, today Tom Dowd would probably be canceled for trying to pull this off. Uh, yes, and and I don't mean that like I'm not trying to make light of that, but I honestly think that you know you're right. The '90s was a different time, and. Uh, I, I felt at the time when I was reading that first edition Shadowrun book, I was like, "Oh wow, they have like they have like Native Americans in this." That that was that was amazing to read about. You know, like somebody had actually thought about uh, including you know indigenous people in the U.S., especially in the area of Seattle, and you know that felt like a first. I I might be wrong, uh, but it definitely felt like a first to me. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely felt the same way. I mean, it was, um, I thought the quality of writing was better. It was more creative. Um, were there, were there issues? Were there parts that didn't hold up? Sure, but I mean, like that's whenever you create something, that's just something you need to come to expect. I think I'm, I'm not saying don't try and write for the future, but affect the fact that the future is a bunch of jazzy dicks. I mean, that's just how it is. Well, I mean, and, and to be fair, you know, the, the part of part of this whole project has been to try to put your put our fingers back on the the fact of well, why did we like this at the time? Yes, and it's it's hard sometimes to really approach that um, authentically, mainly because we live now, and right. right now the people who wrote that were just they they should all be canceled almost in mass. <laughs> yes. um, and and you know the the fact of the matter is that like going back to Jessica Krug, you know the 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 idea is in this sadly zero sum world that we live in that we'd like to change from being zero sum, but for the moment we have to live in the present that we have. That you know Thomas Dowd um, may may have taken the place of someone who was Native American or Indigenous at least. Um, is that that could have written a story from that same perspective. Yeah. Um, that is not something that we can address in 19, 
90, whatever it was that this book came out and was uh, probably solicited or, or contracted for hire, but we can expect better from now on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, th- I think that's a good way to look at it. It's, I mean, uh, the, the, the whole conversation is fraught. And I think I think the important thing is um, trying to find the things here that are that are joyful and fun and of value and constructive, and noticing the things that aren't. Right, right. So you know, and, and in that vein, so what did you? I mean, what you said you loved it. Was there something that really jumped out at you? Like, what's your what's your uh, sort of nostalgic memory of this? Oh well, what what I remembered was um, part of it is the the relationship of the characters to magic was very different in this than it would be in a D and D or something like that. Where like in most role playing writing or in most fantasy novels, it's about like sort of the uh, accumulation and then discharge of energy. I mean, it's 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 almost literally masturbatory, you know. Whereas in here, like they, they explored the idea of uh, types of magic and you, you sort of did have an arcane type that involved books and all of that. And then you had something that was a lot more um, uh, spirit based. Something, something that involves uh, forming connection to. I mean, I guess you can draw a parallel between that and the idea of priests in D and D. But the the idea was that you found a um, a, a hominger or some sort of uh, representational spirit that pumped you full of power and also made demands of you. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, it was a completely different direction with these sort of things. The level of enthusiasm that it had towards the idea made me feel like it wasn't necessarily insulting. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and and you know, just the the what one of the things I love about fantasy books and and building sort of these these arbitrary world rules for how the world works is that you can play with these ideas and cool do cool stuff and i felt like Shadowrun was definitely doing that on a level that say the old D books definitely were not yeah i it's it you're i think you're right um i think the the D um i, I would even say that the D modules uh, a lot of them sort of fit a certain um, sort of a certain uh, parameters. The ones that really stick out of my mind are the ones that are just bonkers or just trying to do different things. Oh, and we're thinking of the same ones. All of the yes ones. Are we? Uh, yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not super familiar with the series numbers. Oh. Okay. Well, like, I'll, I'll just start reading off the names: Tomb of Horror, mm-hmm. um, Expedition to the Barrier Peaks, Barrier Peaks, yep. yeah, White Plume Mountain. Oh, White Plume Mountain is so cool. Yes. Yeah, I mean, like, all of those were, like, these don't fit in sort of an extended campaign. Somebody made these, and they were well-written, but they're funky, you know? Right. I mean, they they have a certain, um, what we've come to call sort of like this weird uh, 70s-era pulpy, not exactly dying earth in the Jack Vance uh, way, but close to it, mm-hmm. sort of feel to them, um, where they're sort of dangerous. They're supposed to be silly in a certain way, but they're definitely like they fulfill the what I've come to call the sort of twelve-year-old uh, perspective. 
I just wanted to be badass, man. Yeah. Well, and and I mean, that's something I probably should have been a little more direct in calling out, is that I was probably playing these in my early 20s, but that that teenage badassedness of these was a big part of it. Like, the fact that I could take a bamboo stick with a sheet of glass at the end and throw it in through somebody's eye 30 feet away was a huge part of what was going on. <laughs> it's a very specific. Oh yeah, well, I, it it was neat. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you know, it's it's that uh, that entire uh, aesthetic behind like having a badass seventies van, you know. Oh yeah. If your if your character in D anD D could do it, you wanted that shit airbrushed on the side of your van. <laughs> exactly. It's like I want my monk on the side of my van, punching a hole in the moon. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Um, but yeah. So, uh, so my perspective, and let me just give you what what I uh, have picked up so far. Yeah. Uh, from Burning Bright, and I'm about uh, a little bit past the midpoint. Um, they're going to have like this big uh, battle with the insect spirits and whatnot. Um, but it, it's uh, it's not going to go great. I'm spoiling that part right now. Oh, I mean, come on now. We I saw I saw Starship Troopers. I know how this ends up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, there's still a, you know a half a book to go. So yeah, it, it can't go well. Um, but um, so so far, and and I'll I'll confess to you this. Um, I sort of picked up the. Um, the Dark Phoenix uh, Milestone Edition uh, trade paperback. That's cool. Yeah, uh, which we may or may not get to at some point in the future. I don't know. But uh, uh, we, we got to get over Xanth first. Yep. Uh, but um, what my point is that I was reading both of these um, sort of not in tandem, but definitely like reading a little bit of this and reading a little bit of the other and so on. And I picked up on something, um, and and it's specifically in the early um, chapters of Burning Bright. There's a lot. I mean, like there's like a page and a half of Kyle, like devising some sort of cir- ritual circle, and it just goes into it. And you know, I'm like, come on, man, just let's keep it going, keep it going. And it's, it's like a page and a half of this, and you know, it's sort of off-putting but then i read parts of like the x-men and you know there's all these like uh asterisks and you're like oh like like so and so did and asterisk and down in the corner it says you know uh issue so and so uh yeah and and there's oh i'll extend my you know my adamantium claws says wolverine and you're like (laughs) I know what he's got. You don't need to. And then I, it really it dawned on me. I was like, oh, so both of these things being sort of media tie-ins, they're doubly didactic um, in the sense that they're teaching you not only like, I mean, didactic in the sense that if you have the good guys win over the bad guys at the end, it's teaching a, a lesson about, you know, morality, good and evil, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, you have an extra layer where the text itself goes out of its way to teach you about the brand. Yeah. To teach you about like how to play Shadowrun or to teach you about, oh, these 
are the X-Men, and there are other issues that deal with this one. Because obviously, the you know, if you're, you're reading issue by issue, you, need, you pick up one, you're in the middle of some story, most probably, and they need to sort of reference, okay, this has happened this, and this and happened then, and so on and so forth. But it, it just struck me, at, and I guess I'd never really thought about it before, but it just was something that I was like, oh my God, that's, that's exactly why, for instance, when we were talking in an earlier episode about why don't you do you know like you don't say the ranger crouched and you know uh, fixed his double scimitars to make a drizzed warden reference mm-hmm. um i don't do that in my writing partly because that is those were the the little um undigested expository lumps if you will of the brand these are probably stuff that uh, either were instructions to the writer or in different different passes over the, the subject matter, uh, they were instructed to write, oh, no, no, you have to go over how this works. Um, or, or, or instructions, you know, like basically the, the writer tries to, reads, reads ahead and tries to explain it the best they can, but maybe they, they've never played the game. Right. So they want to go step by step. There's not a there's not a level of confidence in the pros, so um, Tumped Out seems to be fine. I mean, overall his prose level is okay. Uh, it's not horrible, but those were the parts that really sort of just really wanted to kick me out of that book, and uh, I realized why. I, that that was just my my moment of you know my little epiphany, if you will. No, I, I mean, I think you're really onto something here. And one of the things uh, that I'm going to be doing post this is I'm going to be buying uh, a comic se- a series that had particularly particularly influence to, on me as a kid, which is the Man Thing slash Howard the Duck stories. Oh my God! So I think because I think that would be wonderful to cover here because I mean it basically mocked all of the other let's fight off Armageddon stories by just having a ridiculous set of characters in them, you know. <laughs> Howard the Duck famously uh, teased, but never uh, they're never going to make a movie of it. MCU character. Yes, well beyond the the, the one that came out in the 1980s, which was. Or, or, or are we saying that didn't exist? I, I, I respect that point of view as well. I, um, I'll, I'll admit that uh, a buddy of me, a buddy of mine, insisted that I see it. <laughs> I, um, I didn't really want to see it, uh, and I think I still feel that way. Although, <laughs> <laughs> although you know the the effects, you know, to quote uh, one of the the duo uh, from Beavis and Butthead. The effects aren't that special. Yes. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the the effects so, aren't that special. So, by the special. way, I, I am outside, and if you can hear somebody starting up their uh, their convertible, uh, I apologize. I, I don't know if that's coming through the mic. Oof. My, my dad could drive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Why did I do that? So um, let me think here. Sorry, I, I, I uh, by by mentioning the vehicle, I sort of brought us off topic. Let's go back in. Sorry. So we were talking uh, uh, burning bright and how it all tied in, 
And oh my God, is that the time? What do you want to do next time, by the way? How are we going to tie it all back to this? What do you mean? Like, uh, we, we're, uh, we're trying to do this as a regular feature. Like, when we get back together, do you want to talk X-Men while I talk Man-Thing? Or are we going to discuss the magic of Xanth? Or where do you want to go, man? We could probably, you know, like, the public has spoken. They want to, we got Xanth to dude. What okay. can I say? I guess we're going to have to do, like, a, a sadly, uh, like, one episode doesn't do it justice. So, you know. Oh, my God. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> I I have a suggestion on this, man. Um, if you um, if you put out a uh, a poll for people to vote on, I'll buy the book. They say. Oh, that that can't end well, <laughs> dude. It's gonna be rough. You do know that it's gonna be the color of her panties, right? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Just, just for the troll factor. Oh, it's so bad. No, uh, but I love them as a kid, and I still have fond feelings for them now. I need to own that in this conversation. I mean, there's a no there's a reason everybody is laughing. That's because everyone read them. Yes, I I picked up uh, like seven books in and worked my way backwards and forwards, and eventually stopped. Uh, uh, you know, as an adult, I cannot read uh, some of these books because I'm sure that if I do it publicly, I'll be put on a list somewhere. Oh, sure, absolutely. But um, but yeah, I, I I dug them when I was when I was younger, and I can't really get away from that. Uh, this this is information that I you know like if there was an Eternal Sunshine uh, of the Spotless Mind uh, machine, mm-hmm. these might be books that I want to just. Can we get rid of those? You know, uh, but it's not as bad as Dianetics, at least. Yeah, and that's a good thing to call out. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so, um, yeah, we may, we may then need to uh, respond to the fans and uh, do a Xanth episode next one. Okay. And uh, we'll resume uh, some other topic after that. Maybe the man thing versus and Howard the Duck one. I'm okay with that. Um, okay, fair enough. Well, yeah, we'll 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 keep uh, we'll make that decision after we deal with Sans. Who knows? I might I might be institutionalized after that episode, and it may not be my problem. <laughs> the Xanth the Xanth books being like the king in yellow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be amazing? A, a podcast where idiots stumble across the wrong book, try and promote it, and their brains dribble out their ears. <laughs> I would listen to that. I would. I would. But um, so any, uh, I guess, any last thoughts on Shadowrun in general? Any strong feelings? Um, have you continued? Have you continued trying to play in that world? Uh, well, no, but I, I, I feel like I can continue to read these books. Like I still sort of appreciate them despite their flaws in a way that the game system doesn't have that hold on me. Mm-hmm, um, how about you? Are you vengeful about having to read Burning Bride, or did that turn out okay? <laughs> no, it, it's fine. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I'm. Um, I had, I guess, I had uh, gotten into the habit of like reading the new thing out there um, as a sort of like uh, you got to eat your vegetables type of thing. Yep. Which um, some of these books, some of the re- more recent books in sci-fi and fantasy, are, are fine. They're mm-hmm. fine books. But they might not exactly be my thing. 
Um, and to be honest with you, the tie-in novels, I understand now why they may not be my thing. <laughs> the tie-in tie novels yes. really are sort of like just, it, it's the, I guess it's the difference between eating some fine, you know, chef-made meal that is very complicated, but, you know, you should, like, I don't want to eat an ortolan. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I don't want to eat an ortolan. Just give me a fucking, like, a, a Whopper or a Big Mac, and I'm fine. Yeah. Like, I don't want to take on the responsibility of some poor bird going extinct me having to wear a, a handkerchief over my head, <laughs> eating the whole body completely. Is, no, thanks. Just give me a Whopper. Yeah, it's keep fine. it simple, guys. Yeah. And and that's the way I, I sort of view the Titan novels. A lot of them are um, sort of almost engineered to be uh, just to hit those spots that will be satisfying, but not too satisfying. You know, it's not like they're trying to reinvent the wheel. Um, I, I do think that the tie-in novels, uh, the more I, I, I talk about them, the more we discuss them, are sort of like the new pulp. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, think, I think there's a great argument to be made for that because, I mean, it's definitely in the same spot and accomplishes some of the same things and has the same uh, lack of pretense, I guess is a way of putting it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but overall, you know, I do want to finish the book. Uh, so there, there's that. Okay. Uh, I haven't like thrown it against the wall or anything like that. <laughs> that is but, more than you know, I had a right to demand, for sure. <laughs> but you know, at the same time, like I sort of know where it's headed, and I'm sort of curious to see if it goes in the direction I think it's going to go. Um, but you know, me wanting to finish a book uh, rather than uh, and and to be fair, this is in part because I am taking it as it is not as i would have written it which is um something that sometimes gets in the way of my reading pleasure yeah yeah i think that's a good way to look at it yeah i mean and it's not inviting me to to sort of accept it as anything other than this is what i am and i think that's that's a that's a very uh useful uh tool to bring whenever you're reading something is understanding, you know, what what it's trying to do. And generally speaking, like, even the writers that are doing tie-in novels are probably competent enough to really signpost it uh, early on to let you know, you know, other than the, the branding of it and whatnot, um, the ones that really stand out to me that, you know, sort of reach out of the crap to, <laughs> to, to be viewed as, you know, just good books uh, are the ones that are really the outliers here. Yeah. No, I think that's absolutely true. Um, God, that's weird to think about. Um, yeah, it's and and that's part of its charm, I guess. Like, they aren't supposed to be... Like, when I, when I was watching Lovecraft Country, um, I don't know <laughs> if you were watching that conversation in the Discord, like, <laughs> one of the pieces of feedback we got from people, um, and I think, I think uh, Kurt was a big one um, uh, <clears throat> suggesting this in uh, talking about his parents just don't understand podcast and that sort of thing was uh, that it was it was better when you didn't try and hold a, up a ruler to it of Lovecraft. If, right. if it was just sort of if, if you called it goofy ass wizard horror, it's, it was actually a lot of fun. 
Right. I mean, and to be fair, if this had not, like, I would even say that the if the original book hadn't been called Lovecraft Country, and had been called like you know, you know, like uh, yeah, some weird exploitation, you know, black exploitation type title. Yeah. Um, granted, he might not have been able to get away with it because Matt Rife, Matt Ruff is white, but <laughs> sure. But but uh, you know, if he had just said you know some sort of black exploitation title and you know take on whatever, uh, I would have picked it up. I mean, at the very least, it again, it, it's it's pul- like I think this is the reverse. It's a book that's trying to um, that is is actually pulp. Or the 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 convention is that it has are pulp, where it, and it's wearing a sort of literary uh, quote end quote um, costume over it, uh, and I feel like that's the biggest obstacle to the show as well. Like it's trying to say all these things, and it's like no, just make it, just make it. They're on the road, and they're they're fighting the monster of the week. Who cares? Yeah, it yeah. There's no reason matter. to build it into more than it is. I agree with yeah. that. And 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 it's fun as it is. Like I think the second episode really sort of hammers, or was it the second or the third episode really hammers home how sort of goofy it is, uh, but also sort of satisfying. So I'm I'm yeah. okay with it. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think we're probably talking about the second there, but the third is just a straight-up ghost story, and that's great, too. Mm, true. Okay, well, um, anything else uh, you want to talk about before we uh, we s- tell them see you next time? Um, no, man. I okay. guess next next episode we're going to get Xanth, aren't we? Yes, we are, man. I am, I am looking forward to <laughs> nothing about this, but that's all right. Well, spending time with you. <laughs> all right, man. We'll talk later. You got it. And uh, Take care, buddy. Take care.